0: being present without being present. I encounter this every day with my wife and my kids where you can be there without really being there. And How much more in church? We can walk through the church doors, sit in church seats, sing churchy songs without ever really truly in our hearts saying, here I am. Let's bring those words back up. Here I am. Can we dare to say that to God? Can we bring those words back up? Here I am to worship. There we go. Here I am. We say it with faith as if we're speaking to a God who is here as well. Here I am to bow down. Here I am to say that you're my God. Now, is you presenting yourself to God dependent on you being or feeling lovely or worthy or wonderful? Or is there a way that we can still approach a God who is all those things even when we're not? Can you bring yourself today and approach God's word? There's another man who struggled years ago to approach God's word honestly and wholly because he was so wrapped up in the pit of his own shame. Is that any, anything like what we ever suffer today? That's me. He couldn't approach God. He could, Jacob struggled in this moment after tragedy and calamity that he was responsible for. He struggled to really approach God honestly. And it didn't stop God from approaching him. It didn't stop God's wonderfulness, his worth. Listen, verse nine of Genesis 35, God appeared to Jacob again. Everybody say again. Woo. And when he came from Paddan Aram, he blessed him. So when you're not feeling worthy of blessing, and you probably aren't, and when you're feeling shameful for good reasons like I do, when you're struggling, the glorious counterintuitive gospel of Jesus, like nothing else, says, okay, since you deserve a curse, I'll give you a blessing. That's what he does to Jacob, and that's what he's doing today. Verse 10, God said to him, your name is Jacob. No longer shall your name be Jacob. But Israel shall be your name. And he called his name Israel. Verse 11, and God said to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall come from you. A company is a lot of nations. And kings shall come forth from your body. That's God's word. That's God's word. Amen. Jesus, we thank you that we can come as you are because you came as you were, glorified, came from heaven, lived the life that we should have lived because you were a born a virgin of a virgin and lived out a perfect life. And yet you died the death that we should have died. And on the third day, you rose again from the dead so that you could transfer your life to us so that when we are not worthy of you, we can still approach you because of you. And today, Jesus, we need you. Can you just say, God, I need you. Say, God, speak to me. Say, God, restore me. And Lord, we trust that as we pray those things, because you are a great God, you call us to greatness, and you can restore greatness for your word. We trust you as we approach your word today. In Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said, Amen. Let's give the worship team a hand as they're making their way off the platform. And as you're finding your seat, I want you to turn to your neighbor and preach with a good preacher voice and say, live beyond yourself. Come on, go ahead. Preach it. Preach it until they believe it. Live beyond yourself. You know, I would have uh, said this last service. I, I would have said just simply what the Bible says. Be fruitful and multiply, because that's like live beyond yourself. But I threw in the extension because there's some newlyweds here who, uh, who get nervous when I say be fruitful and multiply. I'm just speaking God's word. Don't judge me, all right? <laughs> be fruitful and multiply. Live beyond yourself. Today, like all days, we find a little bit more of the context of ourselves, our story, our struggle, our victory, our story. In God's story. Genesis is a wild adventure of a book, I'll tell you what. And it is where your story begins. That's how we know that God is great. He's made us for greatness because he made us in his own image, and yet we've fallen from his image. We've surrendered his greatness for lesser things. And just, it's easy to think about because just think about your thoughts. There you go. Not always great. We're fallen from his greatness, and yet Jesus loves us so much that he won't allow us to just remain where we are. He loves you so much where you are that he won't let you stay there. And define yourself less than great, less than his greatness, and less than his word calls you to. So he restores you. And if you find yourself like Jacob here in Genesis 35, in the midst of shame, struggle, conviction, feeling filthy and dirty... Well, if you ever struggle with those same thoughts, you're in the right place, right in the middle of God's word. That's where Jacob found God coming to him and saying, you are no longer Jacob. Now, at first glance, if you've been here for a few weeks, you might say like, wait a minute, we've already, we've already heard this sermon. You preached it weeks ago. Now, listen, that, that might often happen because I often tend to repeat myself. But actually, the Bible repeats itself in this case. In Genesis 33, he came To Jacob, who was wrestling with him. Strange story. Go back a few weeks. You can listen to it on springstx.org. But God shows that when we come to the end of ourselves, we step into grace. And that's when God does a new work. And he changes Jacob's name to Israel. But then in Genesis 34, there's a little bit of a scandal, a little bit of a struggle. And Jacob's left here feeling ashamed, as he should be. And yet what does God do? He comes, as we've seen in Genesis 35, and blesses him. And says, hey look, your name is not Jacob, it's Israel. Almost as if to restore him, to reinforce that this is who you are despite what you've struggled with, despite your failures, you are not called by your past, you're called by the new name that I've done, the new work that I am still doing. Can anybody say amen? Amen. I sure need that restoration, I sure need that reminder. Have you ever needed... To be, to be reminded who you are? Have you ever needed to be reminded whose you are? This has been the story of my life. I've, I've really struggled with uh, just kind of being the best that I can be all on my own. And I grew up kind of separate from God, just a regular religious hypocrite, every bit as normal as I was perverse. And God changed me. Simply enough, God got into my story, showed me my sin, showed me how Jesus has a plan to not just leave me to myself, but make me the person I'm supposed to be. And in my old thinking, I was super crazy, kind of doing things my own way guy, thinking, I don't want to give my life to Jesus because I want to be in my own person. Well, Jesus showed me that without living in the light of his word, I can't even be myself. I can't be who I'm supposed to be without him redeeming me to who I'm supposed to be. So he makes me new, and the struggle in the last almost two decades, geez, has been to simply be who he's called me to be, to be his, to remain in him, as Jesus has said. And sometimes I need to be reminded, just like you do. And oftentimes it happens when I go home to Oregon. I grew up in Oregon, and uh, those were I sp- those were... All, of my, all the years of my BC days, before Christ days, were lived and uh, some years squandered in Oregon. Crazy stuff in my my past there. And God has been doing a new work the last 18 or 19 years of my life. And when I go back to Oregon and just get in touch with some of the old crazy ideas I used to have and get around family members who are kind of uh, projecting, mocking uh, Worldviews, mocking God and, and just new ideas that seem so new, but it 's just a, just a, a, an Oregon recycling of the old ideas that never worked. I get cranky sometimes. Anyone else get cranky around people that annoy you? It just reflects my old self, and I 'm just like, I don't like this. And oftentimes around my family, I hear the voice of the Holy Spirit, which men, when you get married, here 's exa- here's what the voice of the Holy Spirit sounds like, just like your wife. Okay, so uh, I hear God's word coming out and saying, you're set apart and, uh, and you are not this way any longer and repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, in essence, through my sweet little wife's voice. And I need those reminders as harsh as they are because I find myself getting around my family and just hearing all these ultra crazy, mocking liberal ideas And wanting to go and combat them. And my wife's like, look, you're not a conservative uh, crusader here. You're so much more than this. You belong to Jesus. We're not here to, to combat ideas. We're here to serve and lay our lives down for people. And stop yelling at your brothers. And that's how we communicate. That's how we express love, sweetie. We yell at each other. No, that's not who you are. And it makes me most mad when my wife says things that are completely true. It takes me a minute. It takes me a good minute to get over it sometimes. I need these reminders. And look, Jacob here has fallen into some really difficult stuff, and he needs a reminder from God. God shows up to him and says, Your name is Jacob, but no longer shall your name be called Jacob, but Israel shall be your name. See, he's reinforcing his promise. He's saying... My promise is not dependent on the circumstances that you've created. Maybe your circumstances are telling you that my greatness and my great promise are, you know, it's it's squandered in the past. But as as I said before, don't let your circumstances start to determine how big your God is. You tell your circumstances that your God is bigger than your circumstances. I've heard someone say, don't tell God how big your problems are. Tell your problems how big your God is. And even though Jacob was struggling to do that, God was going and restoring him, to saying, this is who you are. And saying, not only am I going to do a good work in you, as I've said, but he starts to speak in hyperbole. He starts saying things like, a multitude of nations shall come from you. A company of nations, the The Hebrew word here for company of nations in uh, verse 11 is a congregation of nations, meaning a lot of nations. (laughs) So Jacob is here just worried about his own self. Man, I'm falling away. And God says, no, I'm restoring you and through you restoring nations. But no, not just that, a company of nations. You think you don't deserve it? No, you don't. But I'm going to bless you so much anyway because my promise is on you. Here we are in Genesis 35, and God's reinforcing with Jacob, saying, look, Genesis 34 did not nullify what I promised in Genesis 33, because you know what? It doesn't nullify what I've already promised long before you were born. And church, this is what God is speaking to us. God is saying, no longer are you Jacob. In essence, No longer are you called by your former name, your former sins, your former struggles. When you, when the culture, when everyone around you wants to define yourself on basal things, your calling, your struggles, your sexuality, your lower things, God is saying you are this. And no amount of struggling on your part, mistrust in me, will stop me from doing what I've been called to do for you, for my name says the Lord. So in our struggle to believe that, sometimes we can think that we're being humble by thinking lesser of ourselves. We can think, oh, I'm being humble, but in actuality, we're, we're being unbelieving. And that's not so good. If God says, I'm calling you to this, and this is who you are, you are mine, and nothing from last week or last Wednesday changes that, because I am that I am, says the Lord, then you have to come into agreement with me and out of agreement with your doubt and your shame. And he's saying that to Jacob and he's saying that to you. And even as I've said, his promise here in Genesis 35 reinforces Genesis 33. Go back a few chapters earlier, go back all the way to Genesis 17. Jacob's grandfather, Abram, had fallen away and displeased the Lord in so many similar ways that Jacob had just done. And God comes to Abram and restores him. And see if you can point out any strange similarities between how God restores Jacob and how here in 17 chapters before, centuries before, how God restores Abram. We'll go to verse four. God says, behold, my covenant is with you. Not was, before you messed up. My covenant is with you. And you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be called Abraham. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations, and I will make you exceedingly fruitful. And I will make you into nations and kings shall come forth from you. It almost sounds like it's on repeat. Chapters later when he speaks the same to Jacob. And here's why. Because God is saying that his promise is not simply dependent on your ability or your performance, but his promise is is a legacy that was there long before you. And to the end of time, he's going to complete mostly because of him and despite you often. And if the gift of being inside of his promise wasn't dependent on you stepping into it all in your own strength in the first place, then you and your struggles won't be what define how he perseveres in this. His promise perseveres. Jacob's promise was given before Jacob was born. It was just a thing he got to step into. He was predestined for just like you. Here's five parallels that are really interesting between Genesis 17 when God speaks to Abraham and when God speaks years later in Genesis 35 to Jacob. Number one is obvious, it's the name change. In the same restoration period, God changes their name. Two, they say a father of a multitude of nations. So here these guys are struggling with just their own stuff, all up in their own head. Has that ever been you or me? Man, I'm, God's calling me to all this stuff. But man, my own sin. And I'm struggling with my own stuff. Well, God's saying, get, get, your, get your eyes to bigger things. A father of a multitude of nations, it says here in Genesis 17. And a company or congregation of nations in Genesis 35. Genesis 17 and Genesis 35. A bunch of nations. Number three, kings shall come forth. From you. And that's a big thing to say. Not just like, hey, a king, but kings. And even better than that, one day, the king of kings, Jesus, will come in the lineage of these men. The promise of God to restore the planet was in Jesus. And nothing Abraham or Jacob or you would do is going to mess that up because it's bigger than them, and it's bigger than you. Number four, the promise is not based on your greatness. It's based on his. No matter how great you are, how proud you are of how many good things you've done for God in the church, and maybe you've done great things, but his promise is dependent on his greatness, not yours. And finally, both of these promises have an implication. You don't deserve to be anything but cursed, like me. And so, God has chosen, since we deserve being cursed, He says, I'll bless you with fruitfulness. It's the counterintuitive gospel that we get to be a part of. It doesn't make any human sense, it doesn't fit nicely into any sort of religious structure. We curse God. We deserve hell. Boom. Fruitfulness. That's Jesus. That's the correlation between Genesis 17 and Genesis 35. And listen, it doesn't just go all the way back to Genesis 17. It goes all the way back. Like all the way, all the way. Go to Genesis chapter 1. Y'all are on a tour here. You're getting good at flipping. Your thumbs are being proficient right now. Genesis chapter 1, verse 28, God blessed them, okay? Adam and Eve, before sin, God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves. And then they sinned. Then we have inherited a a pattern, a fallenness, a depravity that we can't snap out of. But does that change God's purpose? No. From the very start, God said, be fruitful and multiply. Why? Because he is great. He is a good God that creates greatness. And he says, you be fruitful and multiply. Then we fall away from him and he restores. He restores it to Abraham and he restores it to Jacob And listen, it goes all the way forward. Let's go all the way forward to Matthew 28. So the person who fulfills all these promises and mandates and imperatives of God is Jesus himself. He lives the life we should have lived. He died the death that we should have died. He rose again from the dead so that he could confer unto us fruitfulness. And he says this in Matthew 28. It says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and, be, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you, even to the end of the age. You see, think about the correlations between Genesis and, and the, the last call here. And you'll see that from the first command to the last call. God is saying, be fruitful and multiply. Or in other words, make disciples of all nations. It's like saying, be fruitful and multiply. But listen, I love that he gives qualifiers, both in Genesis and in Matthew. He says, go do these things. But what is the confidence, the foundation on which you can launch out to do those things? It's me, says the Lord. Here, Jesus gives an encouragement security sandwich here because he starts before he tells us to do stuff. He says, All authority is mine, so you go do it. But then don't think that you're going to do it alone because, behold, I am with you to the end of the age. So go do all these things, but I'm with you. All authority is mine. It's like when God says to Jacob, Be fruitful and multiply. I am God Almighty. And when we're thinking about, okay, well, how can I multiply? I struggle with this, this, and that. My schedule is this, this, and that. I I don't know this. I don't know that. And we have all these things in front of us. And God says, no, no, no. I've called you to all this. Why? Because I am great. Because all authority is mine. Be fruitful and multiply. Live beyond yourself. That's the takeaway for us. The promise from the very start, the promise and the mandate, all the way to the end is be fruitful and multiply. Live beyond yourself. You know, some of us are really struggling with, its, with, with different barriers that cause us to be into ourselves and struggle really to live beyond ourselves. Let's consider some of these barriers real quick. One of the barriers that we might face is simply sin. Sin. And you know exactly what it is. It's God says to go do this, and he says don't do these things, but it's hard to do what he says to do when we're too busy doing the things he says not to do. Sin. But then there's also the shame that accompanies it. Those can be major barriers from us going and be fruitful and multiplying and making disciples of all nations because we're struggling to be a disciple. And all those, all the, all of those are really real reasons, I think there's more potent things. There's career aspiration that becomes career obsession when we start to define ourselves and our time and our schedules and our thoughts based on our career, occupational calling. Sometimes we can be so clouded by comforts and leisure. For instance, maybe you're sitting here and you're thinking, okay, it's noon now and it's NFL season now. And when's this dude going to stop talking? Well, the answer to that is at least nine or ten minutes. But listen, are we here to hear from God? Or how often do distractions and comforts and riches cloud us from doing the best things? There's so many barriers. Sometimes a barrier is, is ignorance. Like, I didn't even know that I was supposed to do all this stuff with my life. I thought I was just supposed to live and breathe and wake up and eat stuff and be nice to people oh no, there's, there's, there's that, but there's so much more. And with all the barriers, I would say that I think the most potent barrier to being fruitful is being fitful. We're too busy with fitfulness that we don't get to fruitfulness. Meaning, Our emotional well-being is so staggered by our own struggles, our own doubts, our own weights that we put on ourselves, that we're fitful, we're worried, we're concerned, we're disheveled, we can't focus. And how does God want to establish and strengthen your emotional fortitude today? He wants to bless you with everyone's favorite word. Ready? Suffering. <laughs> he wants to use suffering, not to drive you further into yourself, but drive you all the way to the end of yourself so you can step into his power, his grace, his ability to live beyond yourself and actually be fruitful to such a degree that you could never take credit for it. You could never say, man, this all happened in my growth group because I'm pretty faithful dude. No, I can't believe all this happened. I can't even believe that I'm actually alive today. That's the glory of God. Do you feel unqualified? Great, come up to the front. We're going to lay hands on you. God wants to bring you to the end of yourself his remedy for fitfulness is fruitfulness. I'll tell you what, I never, I'm still getting over my fitfulness as he pours fruitfulness on me. And those sound like a bunch of ideas, but I'll just, I'll just give you a real life example. I often am worried and fitful about what am I going to eat? And, and I want to eat this. And I'm just thinking, I'm, I, I over obsess with Yelp when I travel. And, and I still struggle with this, but up until a few years ago, I was so busy and occupied with feeding my own face that God blessed me with a baby. And here I am, sitting at the dinner table, feeding my own face, and there's a screaming little toddler sitting right next to me that can't really get her plate off her own table. And God just reminds me through the screaming voice of my child maybe you should get over yourself and get that child some food. Be fruitful and multiply. He already gave me the baby. Now I'm just walking in his fruitfulness, getting to the end of myself and all the cheese that I put in my bowl and having to put it aside and enjoy the fruitfulness he's given me. There's practical ways that he brings you to the end of yourself, allows suffering. He says to you now, he says, you are no longer your past. You are no longer your shame. You are no longer your past habits. You are someone that I strive for. Did you know that Israel means God strives for you? He says to Jacob and he says to you, I am striving for you. Can you just stop? Come to the end of yourself and see that you are in my grace. See that you are mine. Peace be upon you, Jesus the King of Kings, says to you, Church, we want to do things together that touch the city, fruitful things. We have dreams, we have plans, we have apps. But I want to speak to you tenderly and say, don't let me or anyone else compel you to do stuff. you are not a consumer of church. You're a child of God. And a child can can move in greater glory than just a consumer. What if this church lived in such a way that we were being fruitful, really fruitful? I pray that we would live and give and love, in a way that shows that we are dangerous, forgiven children of God, and the enemy trembles. Can we live in such a way that we're, no matter what our budget's telling us, no matter what our boss is telling us, we can be risk takers with his word. One practical way is one thing that, that our mind and our comforts and our fitfulness is married to is Money. So when a dude up up on front talks to you about giving money to the church in that uncomfortable moment like now, because it's one of those moments, if you would see that it's a blessing for you to live beyond yourself and to be fruitful and to test the Lord, you could go to a a new place of of glorious adventure with him. What if you were to live and to give and to love in a way that the, the world just wondered about? Let me, let me share with you how I saw this come alive in my growth group this week. I was having a rough week, and I went to my growth group. And I was thinking about not going. Isn't that always how it goes, too? Like, man, I had all these good excuses not going on Wednesday night, but I went. And I heard just two guys share what they pray for, and it just blew my mind. Every week, if you, if you know this, coming from a growth group, we pray we leave time to pray for a few things. One, what's a need that you have that we can all pray for? And number two, what's a name? So there's a need and there's a name. What's a need you have personally that we can ask God? You're a child of God and we can ask him for stuff. Number two, what is a name of another person that has a need? That maybe in praying for this person that your need won't seem so big anymore if you see it through the eyes of God. And you're seeing and you're praying fruitfully. We've been doing this every week. And you know what? Redeemed habits habits have a way of, of transforming humans. And one of my friends, I won't pick on him because he could be here right now. <laughs> he said, guys, I'm just overwhelmed with three or four people in my job that are just really struggling. One of them is just an enemy of God and just hates the gospel and hates me. And every time I try to love on him, he's just, he's just hating on me. And, and, and the other ones, they're just going through so much pain. And, and so we didn't even know how to start praying, but I just asked him, I said, bro, four or five months ago, was this burden on your heart like this? Did you, did you struggle with folks at your work, you know, with worried, you know, being concerned about them? And he says, no, I didn't even notice them because I had my own struggles. And he's like, I still have my own struggles, but God's drawn me closer to him and he's given me a heart for them. And I even remember, I said, you know what? Months ago, you had some issues with work and struggles with work that we were praying for. I said, have any of those circumstances changed? And he said, not much. Not much is different, but everything's different. Everything's different. Fruitfulness is happening. Just little seeds of prayer. And then we get to the next guy. And he says, guys, I want you to pray for me. I only have 30 days left to reach out to my friends at work. And I just I want to pray for boldness, for Holy Spirit power, for all the stuff to come on me that I, that, that I could reach out to these guys and share Jesus with them. I'm like, okay, let's pray for that. I found out later why we were praying with a 30-day window. It's because he was laid off. I'm like, dude, why didn't you ask us to pray for a job? And it's like, look, I'm not denying that. I, I've been praying for a job. But remember months ago we prayed for a job and God gave me an even better job? So now I'm just thinking like, man, if God wants to get rid of my job, it's because he wants to bring me a better job. I can trust in God. We've got history, so we've got future. But I've got 30 days with these guys. And I just want to fall over right there. I told my wife, I called her on the way home. I'm like, look, I'm not calling just to say I'm late, but I am late. (laughs) But man, I can't, I'm so excited about this. The church stuff that God does and tells me to do, he does it, his promise is real. Be fruitful and multiply. You're a child of the living God. That's who you are. That's who you are. Now guys, I don't want us to leave here and simply think, okay, church today was, uh, we're supposed to um, be fruitful, multiply, and we're supposed to live beyond ourselves, and here's three practical things I can do today. Now, that's all good. But I feel like if you were left there, that I would be doing God's word a disservice. Because I've pointed out five similarities that the restoration of Abraham and the restoration of Jacob, five things that they have in common But let me point out one thing that they don't have in common. When God spoke to Abraham in Genesis 17, and he said, Be fruitful and multiply, Abraham at that point in time had no kids. He was an old dude, no kids, and he's saying, Be fruitful and multiply. That's an audacious command. And when God speaks to Jacob, though, and he says, Be fruitful and multiply, Jacob already had a ton of kids. He had a whole football team of sons, 11 sons. And he had his, his kicker on the way. Little Benjamin was, was cooking in there. So when he says, be fruitful and multiply, one could think, I already am. That's the problem, these sons you gave me. And when God speaks to you right now, is he just saying, go do these things? Or is he saying to you, like Jacob, you know, you already are walking in this, but enjoy being fruitful. Be mine. Don't just do stuff. You're not a human doing, you're a human being. Be fruitful. That's who you are. You're mine, says the Lord. You're not defined by your struggles, your circumstances, your best performance, or your worst. Be mine. Jesus says, remain in me and fruit will come. Be imitators of me. In fact, I'm going to go there. Would you stand to your feet? And I'm going to go to Ephesians 5. This is a great scripture to end on. Be secure in whose you are. Ephesians 5, the end of of chapter 4, it says, Be kind to one another, another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God Christ in Christ forgave you. And then it says, therefore, verse 1 of chapter 5, Therefore be imitators of God. Who is God? He is a very fruitful, glorious being. So be an imitator of God is the same as be fruitful, Now how? As good workers of him? As good church participants and members? Well, so much more. Be imitators of God as beloved children. And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself for us fragrant offering, a sacrifice to God. Who are you? Church, you are children of a living God. Don't let the devil, yourself, or anyone else define who you are. The Lord says, You're mine. Be that. Be mine. Be fruitful and multiply. What does that mean for you? Ask God. I dare you. I dare you. Ask God, What does it mean in this church? What does it mean from this church? What does it mean in your life? What does it mean at your workplace? To be His, to be fruitful. And can you rest in that? Instead of striving for God, can you see you are Israel? You are one for whom God strives. We're gonna do a little experiment right now. It's the same thing we do in our growth groups. We're gonna bring our needs to a holy God who says, I am the Lord Almighty. And then we're going to bring the needs of others before him right here in church. And we're going to see the floodgate of stories open up as God meets the very real and specific needs that we bring before him. Would you pray with me? Before we proceed forward, I want to give you an opportunity. If you've never surrendered your heart to the Lord Jesus, to the one who gave himself fully to you on the cross. You've never fully given yourself to him, to where you can't confidently say, I am in agreement that I am his. I want to give you an opportunity right now. If that's you and you're saying, I want to give my life to Jesus, I just want to pray for you. Raise your hand where you are. Thank you, God. Pray after me, Lord Jesus, make me new. I am no longer my my own, I'm yours. Define me, restore me, make me fruitful. Now for all of us, think of a a very real need you have in your life. Something that that you've been uh, burdened with in prayer for a while and just Do business with God and ask God as a child of God what your need is. My kids don't have to to be indirect with me. My kids don't come up to me and say, "Uh, Daddy, I know you are uh, maybe that you would want. No, they just say, I want a sucker. Bring your needs before God. Think of that one thing you just need God to come through in. Bring that to him. Now that we've brought our needs, now we're gonna bring a name. Think of a person that you would like to see God do what only he can do. Maybe you've tried to do things for them. Maybe it's a person at work, in your family, a neighbor that you've tried with the best of your words. But you want God to bless them, heal them, restore them in a miraculous way this week. Bring it before God right now. Bring that name before him. Just do business with him. Bring it to him. Ask him specifically. And ask the growth group leaders to come up front. Lord, we seal this prayer. We trust that you will do what only you can do. We thank you, God, that as we bring our needs before you, you meet our needs and you do a work in us and also a work from us. And I pray that you would do a work in us, that we would be fruitful. Lord, I bless this congregation in Jesus' name to know you and to make you known we trust, God, that you will grow us in you even as you're causing us to go to others with your love. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. A few things as we dismiss. If you're new, if you're visiting, you want to n- learn more about our church, you want to sign our connections card and turn it into our connections table, we have a gift for you. It's a pretty groovy gift, all right? Uh, the last thing is this. When I dismiss here, if you have a need that you want to bring before another person, you know, the Bible says we bring our needs before God, but in James 5 it says, bring your needs before one another. Pray for one another that you may be healed. Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. So as I dismiss, come up and people who have just as needs, just like you do, can pray with you, okay? We're dismissed. Thank you.